He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you would love one another just as I have loved you. A new commandment, Jesus says. Is it really new? The Old Testament is filled with verses and commandments of how to love your neighbor as yourself. But as Jesus is often seen doing in the scriptures, he intensifies the law. He shows the heart and the spirit behind the law. He says, I am not calling you to love just like you love yourself. I'm calling you to love like I, God, love you. I'm calling you to have what is called a God kind of love, an agape love, a love that goes beyond yourself, a love that loves other people to the end of yourself. Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome back to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Sam. I'm the host for the show. Thanks for listening. Uh, this week is a standalone message from Pastor Daniel, um, and next week we're going to start a new series called 2020 Vision that's all about uh, where we're going in the new year as, as the church. So uh, make sure to tune in for that. Uh, I hope that you all had a good Christmas. I hope that you're uh, enjoying this uh, weird week that is between Christmas and New Year's where it seems kind of impossible to get anything productive done. Um, but I hope that you're getting some rest and uh, been able to spend some time with your family. Um, yeah, but make sure to tune in next week um, for the kickoff of that series. And here's Daniel with his message. John chapter 13, verse 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your eternal truths. We thank you that your word is not relevant or relegated to some season, some era, some time long ago, but that your word still speaks to us now. Spirit of God, we pray that you would use the word of God to reveal to us the love of God, that all that we do today may be done to the glory of God. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, good evening, Life Church. How you doing? Come on, talk back to me now. All right, all right, good. There you go, good. Well, I have the privilege of bringing you God's word this evening um, as we go through um, uh, John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. This is a standalone message. And what that simply means is that it's not part of a series. With that said, though, it does serve as a backdrop, a foundation to the next couple of weeks of sermons that we will be having here. Essentially, this sermon is what we call the orthodoxy. It is the, the things that we hold on to, our convictions, what we believe, what we know to be true in Scripture. And the next few weeks will be orthopraxy. It's what we do as a result of what we believe, our conducts, if you will. And so this passage, John chapter 13, we find ourselves in what is the last night that Jesus will spend with his disciples. This is the Thursday, if you will, in what is called the Passion Week, the week of Christ's suffering. And he had spent three years with his disciples day and night teaching them about his purpose and about the kingdom of God. Teaching them that his purpose was to come to live and to die for the sins of the world. 
He had been sharing with them back and forth. And all of his teaching has been leading to this very pivotal moment, the time or the hour of his crucifixion. Before the night will be over, Jesus would be arrested. He would be tried. He would be violently beaten. He would be ostracized. And in the next 24 hours, he would be crucified. We find ourselves here in what is called the farewell discourse of Christ. Christ is speaking to the disciples, and he is 24 hours away from death, and he is sharing with them his dying declarations. Dead men usually don't waste their words, and this is his time to share with them the most important things that he has for them. In fact, in chapter 17 of the same book of what's called the high priestly prayer, Jesus spends all of his time speaking to the disciples and praying on their behalf that God will keep them one. That God will unify them, especially as he departs from them. He spends time giving them the most important instruction that he could give them. In fact, as some scholars will say, verse 34 and 35 are the most important instructions that Jesus has ever given his disciples. He calls for them to be one. He says, I am calling you to love as I have loved you. And how, Jesus, will we do this? He says, namely, by loving each other. How do you stay one? By loving each other as I have loved you. In fact, in the very one verse, verse 1 of this same chapter, we see the extent of how much he loved them. The Bible says he loved them to the end, to the utmost of himself, to the end of himself. He loved them completely. He loved them perfectly. He loved them like they have never been loved before. He loved them to the end of himself. It is this same type of love that he now commands that they would love each other with. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you would love one another just as I have loved you. A new commandment, Jesus says. Is it really new? The Old Testament is filled with verses and commandments of how to love your neighbor as yourself. But as Jesus is often seen doing in the scriptures, he intensifies the law. He shows the heart and the spirit behind the law. He says, I am not calling you to love just like you love yourself. I'm calling you to love like I, God, love you. I'm calling you to have what is called a God kind of love, an agape love, a love that goes beyond yourself, a love that loves other people to the end of yourself. Jesus calls his disciples to love one another. So then the pregnant question, if I am supposed to love like Christ, then the question for them and for us today is how did Jesus love? Because if Jesus is supposed to be my example, if he is supposed to be my template, if I am supposed to follow after his model, how did Jesus love? Well, as I look through scriptures, I find four ways that the Bible describes Jesus' love. Four different descriptions that sort of capture the fullness of God's love for us. First, we see that Christ's love is sovereign. And I'll impact each of these as we go through. But Christ's love is sovereign. Secondly, Christ's love is sacrificial. And thirdly, Christ's love is salvific. And finally, his love is sanctifying. Let's unpack this. What do we mean by his love is sovereign? First of all, his love is sovereign. It is a complete, a supreme type of love. It is a love that knows no boundaries. It is a love that is free from any external influences. It is an unconditional type of love. This is agape love, a judicial love, a love that is the act 
of the will and not fleeting emotions. It is a love that is unmerited. A love that's not based on what you've done or what you could do. Because there's nothing you could give God. He is God. He is sovereign. He is great. His love is unconditional. It is a one-way love, an unmerited love. The scriptures describe this type of love in many places. One of my favorite places to look for this type of love is found in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 8, verse 35, 38, and 39, Paul writes to the Romans. And he does this in a rhetorical fashion. He says, who and what can separate us from the love of God? He says this love of God is inseparable. It's inseverable. You cannot be severed. Paul says it this way. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For I am sure, I am convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's not an exhaustive list, but it captures everything. There's nothing that Paul says, there's nothing that can separate you from God's love because God's love is not dependent on anything but himself. And so far as God continues to be God, his love for us remains. That's an amen moment. That's a reminder that you did nothing to earn God's love and you do nothing to lose God's love. It is the foundation of our faith, the rock bed of our faith that God has loved us with an everlasting love. His love is sovereign. Paul says nothing can separate us from this love. My question to you, Christian, is do you love like this? Do you and I, do we love unconditionally? Do we love in a way that is unchanging? Or does your love for me and my love for you have a shelf life? Does it have an expiration date? Do we love with a thousand conditions that must be met? Or is our love unmerited and unconditional? Christ's love is perfect. Christ's love, unlike ours, doesn't have a thousand disclaimers. He doesn't say, get better, then I will love you. He says, I'm going to love you till you're better. I'm going to make you better. I'm going to show you my love in such a way that you know that you did not deserve it, but yet and still, I gave it to you. It's the sovereign love of God, that he has loved us unconditionally. Secondly, he has loved us sacrificially. He has loved us in such a way that his love for us is a sacrifice. Now, in our day and age, it's hard to really unpack the word sacrifice. Because I had eight slices of pizza and there's one left, and I'll give it to you, but it's a sacrifice. Every single preference change, every change of plans, every tweak is a sacrifice. Biblically, a sacrifice is costly. It's worthy of something. It hurts to give it. Jesus' sacrifice was himself. He gave himself for us. When you read passages like he gave himself for us, we read too fast and we forget what that means is that he was being for us. He was violently assaulted for us. He was crucified for us. He was spat on, beating, hurt, broken. 
nailed to a cross for yours and my salvation. His sacrifice cost him his very self. The Bible speaks of Christ's sacrifice in many different ways and in many different places. One of my favorite is 1 John chapter 3. He says that this is how we know love. This is how we know what love is. This is what love looks like, that he laid down his life for us. And in response, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. Do we love each other sacrificially? Or is our love selfish and self-centered? Do we love because of what we can get out of someone? Does love itself, is it used as a tool to gain from people? Or do we love freely, sovereignly, and sacrificially? Do we love like Jesus? He gave up his privileges, his preferences, his position, and even his person. Do we even aim for that type of love? Are we even inclined to give up our privileges for the sake of another person? Would we give up our position and our preferences for those that we claim that we love? Do we love like this? Thirdly, the love of Christ is salvific. Wonderful word. Simply defined, it means his love saves. Salvific, it's a saving love. A love that brings you and redeems you from hell into God. A love that saves you from your sin. A love that captures you out of the clutches of sin and brings you home to God. It is a salvific love. A love that saves. A love that redeems. Without Christ, we have no salvation. Out of love, he gave himself for us. That those of us who believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. The Bible speaks of Christ's love, his salvific love, his saving love, his redeeming love in many different places. But one verse that I know that you know offhand is John 3.16, a weighty verse. Cavalierly read, but unpacked, full of truth. It says it this way. John, the same writer of this gospel, he writes in such a way that he marvels at the depths of God's love. He marvels at the gravity of God's love. He says, for God so loved the world. How, John? That he would give his only son. He loved us so much that he gave of himself. The most priceless thing that he had to offer was his son. His love is salvific. John says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in this precious gift would not perish, but would have eternal life. His love is salvific. It redeems and it saves. People of God, do we love this way? Do we love in a way that redeems people or pushes people further into their mess? Do we separate ourselves from people when they're going through pains and through the plights of life? Or are we apt to walk with people through the ups and downs of life? Do we seek to serve people when they're at their worst? 
Or does our love only show up when they're at their best? Do we walk with each other in the dastardly moments of life? The dangerous and and deadly moments of life? In the moments of depression, are we there loving people? Or is that too much for us to handle? The love of God redeems, saves. The love of God delivers out of sin out of hell. Without Christ, without his salvific love, we have no salvation. We are headed to the judgment of God for for the judgment that our sin so deserves. But he gave himself. He sovereignly, sacrificially, and salvifically gave himself to pull us out of hell, to pull us out of the wrath of God that our sin deserves. This is the gospel that we have an unmerited love that was given to us. A gift that keeps on giving. His love is salvific. Love of Christ heals. Love of Christ saves and it redeems. The love of Christ not only is willing, but has proven that he will walk through the hell and fire for us. He loves us salvifically. Fourthly, the love of Christ is sanctifying. Love of God is sanctified. What does it mean to sanctify? His love not only ransoms us, but he doesn't stop there. He keeps on ransoming us. He keeps on pulling us closer to him. He keeps on bringing us back home. He keeps on putting us back in the right relationship with God. He keeps on helping us experience less and less of sin and more and more of him. He keeps on refining us, freeing us from the habits that entangle us, that hold us, that would have us be buried. He continues to work on us daily, freeing us from our bad habits, our bad addictions. God continues to show his love for us that even now he continues to refine us and bring us into the best of who we are in him. His love is sanctifying. It sets us apart for the purposes of God. It makes us worthy. It brings us into right relationship with God and keeps pushing us into the truth of who God is that we may truly know who we are. His love is sanctifying. His love for us reconciles us to God. His love in us reconciles us with each other. And his love through us brings the world to him. This is the gospel. Not only that he has saved us, but he has now made us into ministers of that same salvation that we also may share in and deliver to people the love of God that is sovereign, that is sacrificial, and that is sanctifying. A love that is sacrificial, that is sovereign. A love that knows no boundaries. In love, he continues to work on us. Do we love this way? Do we love in a way that continues to draw people to God? Or does our superficial love cause even the world, even the culture outside, to say, I don't want any of that? Or is the love that I have for you and you have for me as brothers and sisters in the Lord, is it so contagious that the world asks the question, who is your God? Jesus says that this is the true mark of a disciple, that you love each other. Like I loved you with a sovereign love, a love that is unconditional and unmerited, with a sacrificial love, a selfless and generous love 
the saving love, a love that redeems people and captures them, bringing them from hell and from death and from damnation into the glorious joy of God, a love that sanctifies, that abides with people, that doesn't push away when people make you uncomfortable with what they're going through, but a love that is willing to love them truly because a friend in need is a friend in deed. If you're my friend when it's good and when it's hard you're not around, that's not love. At best, that's just superficial love. He says, I want you to love the way that I love. He says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. What's a disciple? A disciple is a learner of Christ. A disciple is a student of Christ's teaching, one who abides in Christ's teaching in order that he may look like Christ, that he may emulate Christ. He sees Christ as his example, and if he is our example, we ought to love like he loves. Jesus says that our love for one another is what proves that we are truly Christians, that our love for each other is what proves that we are truly who we say we are. That our profession of being disciples is only undiscouraged and undergirded by the truth of our love for each other. That we love in such a way that he loves. That shows our true identity. That Christians and non-Christians alike will see us and marvel at the love of God. It's interesting that for Christ, the mark of discipleship, what truly means that you are his, is not church growth or church expansion. It's amazing that it's not church participation or even church engagement. It's amazing that it's not the evangelistic success of taking the whole city for the glory of God. But rather than all of those great things, what he says shows that you and I belong to him is our love for each other. What a way. You would think that if the church grows, if people are being saved and People are coming to the knowledge of God or we are learning God's word deeply and we're growing in knowledge. That's a mark of discipleship. No, God says my mark for you, what the standard is, is that you love as I have loved you. That's the mark of discipleship. For Christ, the mark of discipleship is our love for each other. It's what distinguishes us to the world and from the world. If you love like those who don't know God, what's the difference? The love that we have, that we are meant to have, that is given to us through the Spirit of God, that shows up in our lives, is an unconditional love. A love that abides with people, that loves people where they are, that isn't calling people to change and then you love them, but is loving them through the change. It is a divine type of love that we are commanded to love. This type of love runs counter to what we see in the world. If you were to define love by the culture standard. It is basically lust. It is sensuality. It is based on feelings and emotions. And if you've been married for more than 10 days, you know that those feelings and emotions go up and down. What happens when the white hot passion that you have for your wife cools off a little? The love that you have for your husband cools up a little. When life goes up and down, when you go through life and you got to work 10 shifts and you don't have time for romance, what happens when those things, and you have to make real decisions that are not filled with all rose-colored lenses, but real decisions about real heartache, what happens when you only are based on feelings and emotions? You know what happens? 
people walk away from each other. Families are broken. The world's type of love, the culture's type of love can never live out for better, for worse. Cannot. It's incapable of living out for better, for worse because it truly just wants for better, for better. Think about that. If we teach people the true definition of love, I think we'll have less people getting married. People will say, I don't know if I can get into that. And that's a good amen moment. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't. Count the cost. People's lives are our stake. How many children have gone through broken homes because mommy and daddy stopped loving each other or never did in the first place, just lusted after each other? And then that goes away. It's like, I don't know him anymore. Sweetheart, you never knew him. Because love is unconditional. Love is unmerited. Love is what we give not because of what we receive, but because we want that person to be their best. We are passionate about them, being who God has called them to be. Our culture tells us to fall in love. If you fall in love, then you can fall out of love. All this falling, it's a matter you haven't hurt yourself. Our culture's type of love rarely survives the issues of life. And if it does go through it, it comes out battered and unrecognizable. It comes out bitter, broken, because its expectations for love was not godly. It was selfish and self-centered. Our culture's love is based on selfishness, but not God's love. Let me share with you a very practical definition of love. Heard it years ago from a pastor, and it was so good that I had to borrow it. It's really good. It says here, love is an act of the will accompanied by emotions leading to actions on behalf of and for the benefit of the other person. Notice what it didn't say. Love is led by emotions. No. It says love is an act. It's an act of the will. I will to love you. Despite of who you are and what you've been through, it is an act of the will. Then it is accompanied by emotions because my action, my decision to love you informs my feelings, not the other way around. It leads me to actions that are on your behalf and for your benefit. Not about me. This is a God type of love. It did not benefit God to die on the cross. It was selfless and it was you-centered. It was an action that was followed by emotions because it hurts to get nailed to the cross. I don't know if you've ever been nailed, but I'm sure as it was a bad day. That leads to actions on behalf of and for the benefit of the other person. This type of love is countercultural. It is counter to the human nature. It is a love that is only possible in Christ. Imagine what happens if we love like this. Imagine what happens to our world if we love like this. What happens to our churches if we love like this? The love of God compels us to push in, to care for each other, to be unconditional about how we display that love. Let me encourage us if I can. And let me also challenge us if I can. I'd love for you to spend this week 
Look at your spouse. He or she may not look the same. I get it. I put on maybe two pounds, I'm lying, <laughs> since I got married. But we change with time. And if your love is based on sensuality and lust, it won't last. I want to sort of encourage you and challenge you. This week, look at your spouse. Look at your family members, your brothers and your sisters. Look at your church family. Do you love them the way Christ has loved you? Is your love for them conditional? Think in your head, what can this person do to make me stop loving them? Here's what I didn't say. What can this person do to make me sort of redefine our relationship? What can this person do to make me think different of them? No, think in your head. If you can think of something, it doesn't mean you stay with this person. It doesn't mean that you, you allow them to be criminals. And I'm saying, can this person do something for you to stop loving them instantly? You hear that all the time. We fell out of love. Well, if God's definition of love is an action of the will, can you actually fall out of it? Can you? How can you fall out of something you decide to do? I want to challenge that. Think about your spouse and love them. Think about how you deal with them daily, how you interact with them daily. Are you loving them with the love of Christ? Or do you, like me, like all of us, have a thousand disclaimers on what they need to do for them to experience your love daily? Long before we seek to teach people, to evangelize people, long before we seek to talk about our testimonies, I pray that we seek to love each other like Christ loved us. And maybe you are an unbeliever and you don't believe in Christ. I propose to you that every single love you've ever experienced is selfish and self-centered because it's built on that person feeling something. It's not built on a decision to love you regardless of what happens. I want to invite you to God's kind of love. A divine kind of love. A love that is unmerited. A love you cannot earn and therefore cannot lose. A divine, unconditional love. Loved you so much that God gave his only son. That you only have to believe in him. He's paid the price in full. He did that for you. He's calling you home. And maybe you're even a Christian and that truth just needs to be refreshed in our mind that he died for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 speaks of God's love this way. God's love is patient and kind. God's love does not envy or boast. God's love is not arrogant. God's love is not rude. His love does not insist on its own way. His love is not irritable or resentful. God's love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. God's love bears all things and believes all things and hopes in all things and endures all things. The love of God for you never fails. Let's pray. Let's stand.
to my brothers and sisters in the Lord who call Jesus your Lord, I re-invite you to that love of God. I call you to remembrance of that love that was paid, that was displayed in his death on the cross. To you who are yet not my brothers and sisters in Lord, who don't share the same genealogy, if you will, with me, because you're not saved and you don't see God as your Savior. I want to encourage you to be intellectually honest. Look at the loves that you've experienced. Have they let you down ever? But there is one who loves you better than you love yourself. There is one who is called the lover of your soul. One who knows all of your imperfections. He knows them perfectly. Yet he still calls you to come home that you may experience his love. You may pray, Father, I have sinned and come short of your glory. And I have met many lovers in my life who have claimed to love me but had thousands of conditions attached to that love. But I stand here, God, and I beg for your love that I did not earn. A love that was freely given to me by the God of all creation. Friends, I pray, I pray that we will always know God's love, especially in the hard times. Father, we come to you this evening. Having just commemorated your birth, where your son was given for the salvation of us, your people. Lord, your love is what compels you to give your son. Your love is what compels you to call us near daily that we may experience your truth. Let every soul in here get a hint of your love. Let every soul in here get a taste of your love. Let every soul in here begin to experience your love. Let them know that God loves them more than they love themselves. And help us, Spirit of the living God, to love each other as Christ loved us. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you want to find out more information about Life Church Canton or other churches in the Life Church Network, text I'm new to 734-349-3475 or fill out the form linked in the show notes below and someone from the church will reach out to you with more information. If you came to Life Church for the first time this past weekend, we would love to know about it. We believe that life isn't meant to be lived in isolation but we want to connect with you and learn to live like Jesus in community together. If you want to email the show, you can do that at podcast at lifechurchcanton.org. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying it, please share it with a friend and leave us a review. Once again, my name is Sam Parham, and you've been listening to the Life Church Canton podcast. Have a great week, everybody.